Well, we are in right in the middle of one of our longer series. It's a nine-week series, and we're on week five. So we're right at the, the Wednesday of this series, and so we're right in the middle. And so with that, as we are, as we've been looking at the concept of thought bubbles, uh, well, all of you are familiar with what a thought bubble is. You've seen it. You saw them in comic strips and comic books when you were younger. And, and maybe you saw a thought bubble on an advertisement um, this week for some reason. And with that, um, every thought bubble you've ever seen in your life had an author. Someone wrote it. Someone decided what that thought was going to be. And what this series is about is for you and I, to be more intentional and purposeful on participating and being the authors of our own thoughts, to think thoughts on purpose. Uh, Because so many times we can feel like thoughts just happen. They're just something we have zero control over. They just kind of wander and go and just pop in. And, And the truth is, is a lot of what we deal with and even suffer with are random thoughts that aren't aligned with God's heart for us. And so we need to, to really grow on this front. So if you've got your Bible app, you, you've got however you're going to track along your bulletin that we've let off with this um, thought every time, that our choices matter. Of course they matter. Our choices are vital. That's how you're building your life and how we think and what we think about. It guides our decision processes. It is just completely at work in that space. And our decision processes are created and informed by all of our the information we've taken in and the experiences that we have taken in. And even your instinctive reactions, that you're, you're making decisions instinctively. Like before you even knew you were making it, all of a sudden you've, you've pulled your hand back because you felt some warmth or, or there was something you saw in the corner of your eye and you went on alert. And there's some, some of those things that you feel like, wow, well, I, I wasn't even thinking about that. But the truth is, is your brain was. that it, there's, You've had enough experiences in life that there is just this codec of information in your brain that is informing you of how to respond to different things. And so um, having grandbabies now, we're getting to watch the developmental process all over again. And um, little Wyatt has been, you know, getting into everything. And so uh, he loves to open drawers and doors. And so he was at our house one day and he was opening um, one of the drawers to our cabinet. And he opens it up and he puts his little fingers over the top of the drawer. And then he goes to close it. And before I can get to him, he closes the drawer on his little fingers. Thankfully, he's doing it in slow motion, but he's pushing and getting it closed. And then his fingers are in there and he's hurting himself. And so I'm just closing it and then, you know, cries a little bit and pulls back. And so a couple of weeks later, he's at our house again, goes to that exact same drawer, goes, holds on, he's holding it, goes to close it. And right as he's doing, I'm like, oh no, not again. And he goes, boop, pops his little fingers up, closes the door like, Kid's, kid's smart, so he's obviously got some of his mama in him, because if he was all Clark, he'd still be like slamming his fingers in the door, and so, and uh, it take takes us a little while to learn sometimes, and, uh, but he learned. He had some information, some new information, and I do it this way. It hurts, but he still wanted 
to get into the drawer. He still wanted to do that. And the new information allowed him to be able to function and do those things without the pain associated with doing it wrong. His little brain was processing it. And you and I are creating and developing different response things all the time. Here's our problem is a lot of the information and even experiences we've had in our interpretation of those experiences has been through a broken lens. And then we've built a framework for how to choose, how to respond, how to do different things in an unhealthy way. And so we've been looking at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, 8, uh, Paul is wrapping up his letter to to the church in Philippi and writes uh, this. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These are the kinds of thoughts you need to have on purpose. You need to be the author of your thoughts. Think on these things, choosing those kinds of thoughts. And I love that it is whatever. It's just opening up a huge, big field and just being able to step into whatever falls in one of these categories. We Again, we can so many times think that letting God into our thought space is going to be, create this very limited, very weird thought life. And it's not true at all. In fact, the scriptures are inviting us into places and just think, but it's it's whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. It, it, and it's opened up to think on the wonderful, vast amount of things that fall within these categories, that fall within this space. And today, we're looking at whatever is pure. Now, as soon as we begin to think about making sure we have pure thoughts, We just kind of, the bulk of the people in the room kind of go to like one space. You're like, okay, well, this is what this message is going to be about, having having pure thoughts. And then if we're supposed to have pure thoughts, we're supposed to avoid impure thoughts. And that is, I, I have an idea of what that is. And that's not exactly what we're talking about. This certainly falls within the over, the big space of thinking whatever is pure. The area of sexuality certainly fits within that, within that space. But it is by no means even the bulk of it. It is by no means even the bulk of it. Because we have to understand that what we need to make sure that we're, we're doing is that our thoughts are aligned with God's heart for us and whatever we're dealing with in that space. We immediately will go to the wrong direction with whatever is pure. Because as soon as we begin to think about pure, when we immediately go, if I want to know if something's pure, I'm going to see if something's not pure. If If there's something that's there that's not supposed to be there. And it's just our natural inclination. It's just our natural inclination that as soon as we go to pure, we just pivot to impure. And my youth pastor, whenever I was in high school, um, you know, had kind of the standard youth pastor illustration. And he was helping us to understand that, you know, little things can contaminate the whole thing. It was, it was, it was a great illustration, a great lesson. And the, the, the lesson was, you know, that it's okay. Hey, you know, hey guys, uh, 
you know, I brought a, I bought a, brought a pan of brownies, okay? And so here are the, here's this pan of brownies, homemade brownies, and, and maybe got some, like, uh, some, some little um, chocolate chips in them, put a little caramel swirl in them, kind of get some turtle brownies going there, and I've got these brownies homemade ready for it. But before you cut into them and eat them, you need to understand um, that while the mixer was going and we had the little mixer putting all the batter, um, went to move something off the shelf and I didn't realize it, but there was a little piece of rat poop that fell out of the cupboard and, and it fell into the mix and it was just, just going and it was gone. But, you know, I promised y'all brownies and I promised to bring those. And so before you get it, just, just be aware that there's one little bitty tiny piece of rat poop in the brownies. So go ahead and enjoy your brownies. And of course, nobody wants the brownies. Nobody's going to sit there and and decide that, okay, I'm going to go have the rat poop brownies. Nobody wants it. But if you're going to analyze it, if you're going to look at the brownie mix, what you're going to find is the bulk of what's there is things that are supposed to be in brownies. But immediately, because we know there's this one tiny little rat poop in there, we now, those brownies have a new name. They're rat poop brownies. And I ain't having anything to do with rat poop brownies. You can just, get, just throw the whole pan out right now. Why? Because we understand. And we look that, you know, if we're going to go for pure, uh, uh, one little thing can, can mess it up. And that's our problem so many times. And we bring that into our relationship with God as we feel like that he's asking for this unrealistic perfection. We begin to move forward. There's one little thing we're like, well, well, what's the point? It's the same thing as just going out to the barn and just scooping up as much rat poop as I could find and throwing it in there. It's the same thing. I don't want to eat it either way. So why am I being worried about it? And so, and the thing is, is if, if our brains go, that we're now going to define everything, but because if we find something we don't want in there, and then we begin to, that is our mindset, well, all of a sudden, we can begin to think everything is corrupted, because we begin to look at our, at our job, and we go, man, there's rat poop at my job. Man, I sit there, and I look at my relationships, and man, there's rat poop in my relationship. Man, that, that friend, he, he didn't treat me right. Man, this didn't, just the world, the government, just everything, just rat poop, rat poop, rat poop, rat poop. Just everything is just rat poop. And all of a sudden, we now, that begins to be our definer, that if things aren't exactly the way they're supposed to be, we can all of a sudden disregard the whole thing, where God has actually called us to move in the other direction. Why? Because we live in a broken world. If we don't learn to think a different way, we're just going to be hopeless. And we're never going to see his hand at work. Why? Because his hand at work steps into a mess and begins to bring restoration. Well, guess what? In that restoration process, there's rat poop. And you're like, well, if God's at work, why is there still poop over here? I thought God was at work in this area of my life. But look, I look over there and it's, well, it's because he's not, it, you haven't invited him over to that space yet. He hasn't worked over there. He's restoring. He steps into the mess and begins to restore. And so we need to have the mentality that we look for him at work. Because guess what? The world's full of brokenness. You're going to find that 
It don't take a genius to find that. What we need to do is see where's God at work. I want to invite that. I want to agree with that. I want to be a part of that. There was a story that my parents had told that I, I was too young to remember it. And so I was about two years old or something along that lines, maybe three. And so we're part of a, uh, a church fellowship and, and a bunch of people were gathered together for a meal. And instead of being a potluck style, um, then there would be somebody who was in charge of preparing the meal. And this particular meal, there was one of the ladies who had, was preparing chicken and dumplings for everybody to be able to enjoy the chicken and dumplings. And she was used to making chicken and dumplings. She had two kids. And so her and her husband and her two small boys would, you know, have this chicken and dumplings. But now she's making chicken and dumplings for, for 20 people. She's making t- chicken and dumplings for a bunch of people. And she just, things were tight, money's tight. And so she just, you know, added more dumplings and added more broth, but still did it with the same little chicken she had always done. Well, guess what? When you went to have your chicken and dumplings, um, it was dumplings. And so, and apparently, according to the story, I'm sitting there at the table with everybody, and I've got my bowl of chicken and dumplings, and I'm sitting there eating it. And everybody is kind of having the same thought, but everybody else has at least some social attuneness to not say anything. And uh, so I'm digging through, and all of a sudden, my dad said that I found... Um, this piece of chicken, and I held it up, and I said, I found a piece of chicken, and so, and then everybody just busts up laughing, because ain't nobody seen chicken yet, and that <laughs> chicken and dumplings, and he said, and it wasn't like a big old chunk, a big old slice of chicken, but like a nugget in there, it was just this little thread, it was just this, this sad little thread, and I just held it up and showed everybody, and so my dad didn't quite know what to do, so he just told me, well, you better eat it, and so I just threw that in my mouth and go on with a lady who made the meal and was highly aware that it was there was very little chicken in the chicken and dumplings i'm celebrating that i found a piece of chicken and as soon as i do that she's at the other end of the table crying because she was embarrassed that there's no chicken in her chicken and dumplings and but in that moment in that moment there's kind of both mentalities at work there's a place where there was just the childlike innocence and in saying, you know what, if this is chicken and dumplings, well, there's got to be chicken in here somewhere, and I'm going to find me some chicken. And, and then there's somebody else who was just so hyper-focused on the fact of what wasn't there. And so many times we're going to miss out on reasons to celebrate if all we ever do is focus on what's not there instead of focusing on what is there. And God has called us to begin to look, having pure thoughts or saying, God, what what is you? What reflects you? And I want to see that in my life because guess what? It's there. There's hope there. There's love there. There's joy there. There's peace there. There's patience there. Now, is there, is there the opposites of that everywhere? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can focus on that and be totally upset all day long every day. Or you can begin to allow your thoughts to be purified and see God's hand at work. See, the truth is, is that pure thoughts are unmixed thoughts. They're unmixed. Something is pure. It doesn't have this other stuff mixed into it. And that is honestly, that's our challenge. Because our own experiences have mixed other things in. 
And God knows that that's part of our challenge. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Why? Because we go through life and we see it and experience it mixed. And we and to be able to have our thoughts purified is to let's say we're going to get rid of that unmixed stuff that get that those other expectations out of there. That word for pure um, is the is well I'm going to have to back up because I never is the word hagnos. Okay, now I realize that's not like a real pretty word. Nobody's like all of a sudden got a new baby name. So like we're going to name our kid hagnos, and so. And uh, so maybe if they're going to grow up to be a bouncer, like, you better chill or we're going to call Hagnos over here. And so, and, uh, but yeah, Hagnos isn't a real friendly word, um, but it is the, it's the word, it's the, the, the Greek word for, for pure. And it means clean, innocent, or perfect. It's this place where it begins to reflect the nature of God. And Hagnos is, is, is a word that its root is Hagios. And hagios is a word that is mostly translated in the New Testament as holy. And when we read the, word, the, the name Holy Spirit, it is hagios. That holy is hagios. And God has called us into a place to allow his holiness to begin to work into our lives. In fact, that hagios is also translated as the word saints. So when Paul writes and says, and, and, you know, in, in one of his greetings, and, and greet all of the saints there in your city, it's all of the hagios, all of the pure, all of the holy. Now, does that mean that they didn't have any brokenness? No. Paul had to get on to them and teach them how to do, how to do communion right. Why? Because in Corinth, there were people getting drunk doing communion. That's a lot of wine, people. They were drinking a lot of wine. And so if somebody's having, if he's having to bring some correction to the church to quit getting drunk on the church wine, we wouldn't normally call that pure. But Paul looked and he saw what God saw. He's like, they've been made alive in me and I am now working from the inside out. And I call them saints. They mean they need some more cleaning up. They need some more stuff not intermingled. But I call them hagios. And it begins to change the way we connect. We want to look at James chapter 1 verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Okay, if you lack wisdom, then that means you, you don't know how to make a decision on something. Wisdom is used to be able to recognize the, our next steps and to be able to discern what's right and what's not right, okay? And so if you lack wisdom, you're not able to make that decision. And if you lack wisdom, it's always helpful if you know it, okay? It's always good to know you lack wisdom if you lack wisdom. So if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And I am... I'm just so sorry that so many of you in this room have a hard time admitting that you don't know something or you don't understand something and have a hard time saying, I need some wisdom, I need some help. Because when you were young, you did that and you were ridiculed. Somebody made fun of you. Somebody said, I, I can't believe you don't know that. What do you mean you don't know? What do you mean you don't understand? 
And you quickly, very quickly learned that if I don't understand, I'm just keeping it myself because someone's going to find fault. And that's why the scriptures remind us that we can ask God for wisdom and he doesn't find fault. Because every time you go to God, that little childhood hurt is going to come up and it's going to try to keep you from opening your heart up to God. And you say, no, I can trust him. He's not going to find fault with me. I can be honest that I don't understand this and I don't, I don't know. So if you ask for wisdom, you do it and he's not going to find fault. And it will be given to you. Okay, now the very next thought. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded and un- is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So we put all this together. So, so what does this what does this look like? Okay, well, how do we end up in this space of being you know double-minded? Well, it, it looks a lot like this. Okay. That you're frustrated at work, okay? And so, and you go to God, and you're like, Lord, I, I need some wisdom. I need some wisdom here at work. Um, my, my boss is hard to deal with. Um, my, the sector that I work in, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not super happy there, but, but it's providing the, for the family, and it's covering the bills. And Lord, I need some wisdom. Show me what to do. And then the Holy Spirit begins to speak and begins to tell you, Okay, you need, to, you need to stay there. You need to be patient with your boss. There's more going on there than you understand. You need to begin to be patient with your coworkers. You need to be ready to go above and beyond. Remember, I spoke in my word that if somebody compels you to go one mile, maybe you need to go two miles. And then you immediately go, they're going to take advantage of me. I can't trust them. They're not honorable. Lord, that's why I'm having this conversation with you. That's why I'm doing this. And now you're sitting there and the Holy Spirit is giving you the wisdom and you're like, no, there's things you're not understanding, God. And now you're double-minded. You're rejecting what he has to say. And you're trying to self-protect. You're like, okay, this makes sense, but I, no, 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 I can't trust. I can't do that. And we find ourselves, well, then, of course, you're not going to be able to step into what God has for you. The answer you're wanting in that space He's given it. You don't like it, so you just, you just shelve it. And then you get frustrated a couple weeks later because you said, I prayed about it. I prayed about it, Pastor, and God just didn't do anything. Well, may, maybe you just didn't like what he was asking you to trust him in. Maybe you just didn't step into it. Maybe you were double-minded. Maybe what you really wanted was him to just fix it all and leave you just as broken as you are right now. Because guess what? Because trusting him heals you. Trusting him heals you. But it exposes the wound that's needing to be healed. Mark chapter 9. We're about to look at. She's like, well, how do I do this? Is there no hope? If I have to not be double-minded, can I not ask God for anything? Because, man, I struggle with this. We all struggle with this. Well, praise God, this is not the end It's not the only thing the scriptures have to say on this. Let's look at Mark chapter 9, verse 23. And before I read this, there's a dad who comes to Jesus with his son. Who It's it's a demon that's actually afflicting his son. It causes him to have seizures. And then this demon tries to shake him and throw him into a fire. If there's an open fire somewhere, it tries to kill him. Okay, The, The dad's heartbroken. Goes to Jesus. 
and says, hey, if you can do anything, please heal my son. And this is Jesus' reply in verse 23. He says, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. There we are. There's that space where he recognized that there was a place of double-mindedness. Lord, I want to follow you. Help me in the place where I don't want to follow you. Lord, I want to love, but Lord, help me in the space where I just don't love. Inviting him into that place, he started out with a conversation about his son. And he ended up in a conversation about what was happening in his heart. And guess what? Jesus healed that boy. Jesus cast that demon out and said, don't you ever return to this. That young man was set free 100%, never had to deal with that issue ever again. But guess what? This dad learned something along the way too. This dad was able to be exposed that he believes though he has unbelief. That is how we deal with this. The places where we recognize that we need to grow in a place of our thoughts, not being intermingled with all of the other stuff and the other problems of our life, all the other experiences, and those need to be unwound so that we can have pure thoughts. Whenever we recognize that, it says, Lord, I'm trusting you. Help this stuff that gets mingled in. And we invite him in to that space. Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul again writes, says to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, his, his hagios people, his holy people. He, it's who we're called to be. That calling automatically lets us know that he recognizes we're not there and that there is a process to get there. If we're called to be holy, called to be pure, and we're not there yet. Well, that means the parts of us are impure. And he recognizes that that is at work. In fact, later on in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, says that, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and if you don't clearly have the mercy of God in your mind, you're going to misinterpret everything he tries to say to you. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, hagios, pure and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Why? Because the patterns of the world are broken. They're gonna, you're going to end up with, a, with an intermingled, impure view of whatever it is you're dealing with. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let that, inner, that, that intermingled stuff be removed. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will is. That things, that what's of value that's, a, that's pure, it has to be, the impurity has to be removed. Now, when we think about things that are pure, if we're just going to have a phrase that we say, well, that is pure whatever. Um, one of those that just kind of naturally rolls off the tongue is pure gold. That's been a phrase that we've said lots and lots of times of pure gold. Um, here's what is funny. Um, there's still to this day lots around the world, lots of gold mines. Okay, 
Um, but if you go to a gold mine and you see what's happening there and, and you see these trucks moving the gold ore around, um, you're not going to see this truck moving and there's a bunch of gold nuggets stacked in the back of it or even little sparkling flecks all in the, the, this dump truck full of gold ore. It's just going to look like crushed rock. That's it. It's just going to look like a rock mine. And then somebody says, no, this is a gold mine. You're like, hmm, that just looks like a bunch of crushed rock. That looks like just somebody's mining caliche or something. That's just, somebody's going to do some paving with that. And they're like, no, that's gold ore. There's gold in there. You can't see it. You don't, you can't tell it, but it's there. And it was worth the effort for them to go at it. When someone decided to dig there, they weren't discouraged by all the gold all the stuff that wasn't gold. They were encouraged by the stuff that was gold. They were totally focused on that. You know what's wild is right now you have an open pit mine. Um, and so and there's one, you try to get one gram of gold out of an open pit mine, an average mine around the world. Um, they have to move one metric ton of ore to get one gram of gold. Now, most of us, we don't use the metric system around here. In fact, you know, the rest of the world makes fun of it that we'll use anything um, to measure but the metric system. You know, you probably saw a week and a half ago that there was a meteorite that hit outside of McAllen, and the headline was a meteorite the size of a corgi that weighed as much as four baby elephants. You know, and so in all of Europe is saying, why would the Americans use anything but the metric system? And so, and, uh, but we, we don't get it. We don't use it. We don't get it. So, um, so like what's one metric ton? Well, what metric ton is a million grams, a million grams to get one gram of gold. You got to move a million grams of not gold to be able to get the one gram of gold. As they're going through the process, there's 999,999 grams of material that they set aside and they didn't want to be able to get the one that they did. Their focus on that pure gold says, you know what? I willingly work through and deal with all of this other mess so that I can get to that which is pure. This is the way where we're called to be, the mindset that we're called to be. I love that one of the main things we use to symbol weddings in our culture is a wedding band. And mine's, mine's not gold, but most, a lot of people's are. And the standard wedding band weighs about seven grams. I don't know, five grams, sorry. It's about five grams. And being most of them 14 karat gold, just because pure gold is too soft. And so in that five grams, there's three grams of actual pure gold. But to get that one little piece of jewelry to remind us of our marriage covenant, there was three million grams of material sorted through, worked through, processed, and set aside to be able to have that gold to remind us of our commitment and our covenant. What a beautiful picture of what marriage actually looks like. There's a lot of stuff that is just, a lot of stuff that you just go through. And we tend to think that, oh, it's all just going to be pure and rosy. But there's challenges, there's difficulties, there's hard times, there's misunderstandings, there's inconsiderate 
inconsiderate moments. There's all sorts of different places. And if we're going to get the fullness out of that, we have to recognize that is part of the process of working through that. To be able to live out to the, what God has called pure, we're going to have to understand that our brokenness has brought a lot of impure into that space. So as we're wrapping up, that our thoughts, they've got to come from the truth that God wants us to reflect him to others. First Peter 1.15 says, But just as he who called you to be whole who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I really prefer the English standard version of this. In verse 16, it says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If we will lean into him, he will cleanse us up. We will be hagios because he is hagios. His nature will be reflected in our nature. He will bring the purity about. It's not that we live under this hard, hard demand that we have to be pure for God. No, we lean into his purity and he works all of that other stuff out of us. It's his refiner's fire that is at work in our lives. And so when we're going to jump down and... and Look at that fact that we're called to let God refine us until all that remains is the pure person that he created. Second Corinthians 3 verse 17 says this. says, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, Jesus' image. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As that refining process happens, there begins to be less and less unwanted material and more and more gold revealed in our lives. Our bottom line today is this, that life becomes brighter as our thoughts become purer. He's invited us. Let him just untangle all the stuff that's wrapped itself around the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, the way we see our life, and allow our thoughts to be more pure. So many times, the place where we have the most impure thoughts is thoughts towards ourselves. We have let so many things come in and taint the way we see ourselves and God sees you differently and the way you begin to embrace that image that God created for you is allow it to be born again born in him and we want to create a quiet moment and create that space right here and right now so if you're here and you recognize that this life in Christ isn't about you cleaning up your thoughts and you trying harder and make it purifying yourself it's not it at all it is about you bringing you the way you are and placing it in his hands and letting him do the the purifying work in your life trusting him that his ways are better and if you're ready to do that if you're ready to place your faith in the god who loves you and provided salvation for you in christ that he's going to be the the one who starts it and the one who finishes. If you're ready to place your faith in that, why don't you just lift your hand and we're going to pray with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes, 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 yes. Praise God, praise God. Yes, yes, yes. Believers, we're just going to pray together. I'm just going to loan you some words. 
Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. You love me, the right now me, but you see a different me, the me you're going to refine, the one you're going to make. And I trust you with that. I believe that Jesus died for me, that his death paid the price for my death. And his life gives me new life. Today I'm your child. Heaven's my home. And I just thank you for you who've begun the good work. You're going to be faithful to finish it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes, yes, yes. We have our prayer teams coming forward right now. Coming forward right now. And if you need prayer for anything at all, they're here to pray for you. I want, to, I want you to stand up and I want to pray over you as we go out of here. Father, your goodness, it's amazing. And your mercies, they're new every morning. And your grace is enough. Lord, you use us, Heavenly Father, in our brokenness, in our pain, in our mistakes. But Lord, we're not going to be focused on those things. We're going to focus where you're at work. See the gold you're refining in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So we go out of here trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Y'all have a beautiful day. Thanks for being with us.